Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Um, Allie is a young mom. Uh, she's, I'm going to let her introduce herself, but um, she lives her faith out very authentically and has been a blessing to me. So let's pray and we'll turn it over to Allie. God, we just thank you so much for Allie. We thank you that you um, have given her um, something unique uh, in this text as she studied it along with us. And we are just excited to hear something from you. Would you help us to, to listen attentively, um, to expect to hear from you, not from Allie? And would you open us up to um, whatever it is that you would have us be convicted about from this text that we've studied this week and we've talked about in our groups? We thank you in advance for what you will do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Take two. So um, as Amy said, my name is Allie Wilson, and that is my family right there, all of my crazies in one place. And I am married to Ray Wilson, and we met in high school, and um, that is us in all of our senior prom glory. You're welcome. And um, we dated um, all through college. We both went to UMHB, and then um, we got married the year after we graduated, and we've been married for about well, almost 14 years, um, and we have three crazy people that we created, um, our own chaos here. So we have uh, David is my oldest, and he is eight years old. He's a third grader at Sparta Elementary, and... Um, he is my little brainiac, super smart. Um, he hasn't figured out that, I'm, that he's smarter than me yet, which is good. Um, but he's just the sweetest, most genuine, authentic kid. He is who he is um, in all of his glory. And um, he's just fun to be around. And then we've got Daniel. And Daniel is six. He's my middle. And he is my little class clown. He loves people, and he loves to entertain. Um, and he loves his brothers. If his brothers are crying or sad, he will throw himself down on the floor from wherever he's sitting, which is so sweet and scary depending on where he's sitting at the time. Um, there has been times where he's tried to jump off the bed, which not so good. Um, he also has severe FOMO, so if he's not, he was very upset that I was coming here tonight and not bringing him with me, but never mind that he has to go to school tomorrow. Um, and then my, my youngest, Caleb, he's three, and he is, I like to say he's a very good mix of my older two, so I feel like you can take a jar, put a little bit of David in there, put a little of Daniel in there, add some habanero peppers or Carolina Reapers, whichever day it might be, shake it up, and that's Caleb. He is um, so sweet and so sassy and so opinionated, which is really fun. Um, but he loves people, and he also just, um, it's, fun to, it's fun to parent them. It's hard, but it's good. So these are my crazies. Um, and yeah, so let's get started. Let's what I wanted to start with today is I wanted to kind of walk us through um, where the people that are following Christ 
are at this moment and what they kind of their mindset at the moment. So Jesus comes to earth and all of his disciples abandon whatever they've been doing, right? They leave their families. They leave their place of residence. They leave their jobs. Um, and they abandon everything to follow him. And he's not exactly who they think he is, right? So they think, finally, we have someone who's going to, you know, redeem their people. It's going to come in like King David. He's going to get rid of all of our foes, rid of us, us of this impression from the Roman rulers of the time. Um, they thought he was this warrior that was going to save them physically, right? So they think, we're finally saved. Israel, the nation, is going to be good. Um, they completely misidentify why he's there. So then they watch Jesus crucified. They see the person that they love wholeheartedly and that they think is their hope to save them die. They watch him murdered in a gruesome and horrible way. And I can only imagine there's no lower place that you can be or feel at that point. Um, and then, three days later, they see him risen, which I'm sure is the complete opposite of that experience. And now their hope is restored. They still don't fully understand who he is or why he's come, but they understand at that point that he's God and that he's come to save them from their sins. So they finally start to understand a little bit of what Jesus has been saying the entire time he was there. <clears throat> so that's a lot to deal with in a short amount of time. And I can imagine that as a people group, that would be um, not alarming, but disarming. You know, it's just they probably were in a state of confusion. Um, so today in Acts 2, we're going to talk about the early church and community and what that means, for the, what that meant for them and what it means for us now. Um, so I was just curious, so I looked up what the definition of our culture's community, what that means, um, and according to dictionary.com, um, it is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And when I read that, um, it just falls short. I think of what community should really be. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk about with community is that we are created in God's image and that community is a reflection of who God is in the Trinity. So I want to read real quick in John 1.1. 1, 1. I didn't put any verses up there because I'm a rebel. Not really, but... Um, so John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here we have that in the very beginning, when God created the world, the Word, Jesus, was there with God while he was doing that. And then in John 15, 26, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. It says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So we know that we are made in the image of God. When God created us in Genesis, um, he created us in his likeness. And in John 1, it says that God was the Word, and the Word was God. So we know that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They're connected to each other. They have this special relationship that we don't fully understand, um, but we know is true. And we are made in His image. Therefore, we're meant to emulate that community that God represents within Himself. And um, the second point is that we have community with Jesus. So we see Jesus in Acts, or well, all throughout the New Testament, living out community with his disciples and with the people that are following him. So it says that last verse in John 15, 20 says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So from the very moment that Jesus was here doing his ministry, his intention was to teach them what community looks like, what it looks like to live out a relationship, not only with God, but also with one another. And in Acts 2, we're going to read real quick, real quick, I don't know how quick I can read it, but it's kind of long. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was speak hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hear in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. So the first instance of community with this new church you see in Acts 2 is they're already together when the Spirit is there. Who knows what they were talking about? I imagine they were talking about everything that they had experienced in the last few years and the fact that Jesus was now ascended into heaven and they were waiting. I don't think they really knew what they were waiting for. We don't know, but they were waiting, and they were together. And they hear this sound from heaven, and they have the divided tongues of fire rest on each, each of them, and they all are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues in their own. Everyone understands what everyone is saying, um, and they're amazed, mostly, except for the few that think he's drunk, that they're all drunk. Um, but we know... From the very first book in 1.8, in Acts, it says, oh, where is it? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So we know from these verses that 
God is redeeming his people. And he is redeeming his people through the spreading of the gospel in a very specific geographic way. It's not random. He goes from Jerusalem to the Jews. He spreads out to Judea and Samaria, and then he goes to all of the world. And um, while I was reading through this, I was thinking about the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, and I'm going to read that to you really quick. Um, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So here, it's kind of the reverse. Acts is the reverse of Babel. So in Babel, they're all working towards one goal. They all speak the same language. Unfortunately, their goal was not to glorify God. Their goal was to glorify themselves. So as a result, God confuses their language and spreads them across the face of the earth. In Acts 2, we see the opposite. Everyone's dispersed. No one understands one another. And the Holy Spirit comes, and it unifies this group, and it helps them to spread the gospel because they all understand one another. The goal is to glorify God and to show who Jesus was and what he did. And as a result of the Holy Spirit, they're able to do it. So we see God redeeming his people. Um, And the early church begins. So let's read. Sorry, I have too many tabs. I feel like a computer. I've got like 18 tabs open and none of them are working. Um, So in Acts Acts 2.37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the Holy Spirit comes. And they're convicted. I love the phrase that they use. They were cut to the heart. And as a result, the church starts. And then in um, continuing on in 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done throughout through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So um, the church and community um, are near and dear to my heart um, because honestly, I would not be where I am today if not for the church. So I grew up in a Christian home. I had loving Christian parents, went to a church in Austin that um, was amazing. I knew that they loved me. I knew that they loved God. They, it was just a happy place. It was home for me. Um, I had many aunts and uncles that I'm not related to in true Southern form um, that I was actually closer to than my own family that lived far off. And it was a safe, happy place to be for me. Um, when I was nine, my family moved to Minnesota, and we moved to um, an area outside of St. Paul, Minneapolis, and my family was from there. I was born there, but um, the area that we moved to was fairly spiritually dead, and even the church that we, the churches in our city were fairly dead, and the one we went to um, was the best out of all of them, um, but it was not the church that I knew and loved at home. Um, the first day I walked in, <laughs> there were a bunch of girls my age. They were sitting in a circle, and, you know, church, home, happy, right? So I go up, and I say, hi, I'm Allie. I just moved here from Texas. What's your names? And the girls picked up their chairs and moved their circle and sat somewhere else and left me alone. And I, I was nine, and I remember I wasn't hurt. I wasn't angry. I was so confused because it's not at all what I had ever experienced in the church before. And um, yeah, I was just kind of dumbfounded by it. I didn't understand it. I had no believing friends the entire time that we were in Minnesota. And um, our family experienced a lot of hardship while we were there and just a lot of brokenness. And I did not realize how hardened my heart was becoming. I was compliant, I was obedient, but my heart was starting to sort of callous over. And um, I don't know how many of you guys know anything about Enneagram. I love the Enneagram. Um, Bonnie loves the Enneagram. Um, but I'm a nine, and nines are known as the peacemaker, which sounds awesome on paper. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that the nines do is they like their world to be neat, tidy, wrapped up in peace, no discomfort. Um, so they hide. They hide what they need to. They suppress what they need to in order for that world to be neat, tidy, and happy. Um, and I did not realize that that's what I was doing. The entire time we were there, I was the easy kid so that my parents didn't have to think about me. I just did what I needed to do to fly under the radar and just not deal. So we moved back to Texas when I was 13. And um, that January, my dad had been having some health issues that January 1st of that year, we'd been home in Texas about six months, and my dad was diagnosed with leukemia. And, um, you know, I had had to kind of refine my place in the church when I left, I was nine. When I got back, I was 13. So it's, 
you know, friends changed and I had changed. I just didn't realize it. I didn't know how hard my heart was. And so I kind of had to start over with friends and, um, and also deal with kind of my dad being sick, but he went into remission fairly quickly. Um, and it was hard, but, you know, we managed. It wasn't undoable because things were hard, but not the worst, right? So when I was in ninth grade, um, two days after my birthday, my dad had been in the hospital that whole week, and two days after my birthday, they said he had relapsed. And they basically said um, that adults with that form of leukemia generally don't do well after relapse, um, and that they were sending us to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Well, I was in school. My older brother was 18. I had just turned 15, and we had to go to school. So we stayed home in Austin, and my parents moved to Houston. And I tried to do it on my own. I suppressed. I covered over things. My mom would call. She'd ask me, how's things going? I'd be like, they're great. School's easy. House is clean. You know, things are good. <laughs> um, and things weren't great. I didn't tell my mom that our refrigerator was basically empty. I didn't tell my mom that our pantry was basically empty and that I was living off about three ham and cheese pizza pockets a day, which I don't eat those anymore because I ate a lot of them. Um, so there was a day that my mom, we had a long weekend. My mom was coming home from Houston to pick us up. We hadn't seen my dad since they left. And she was coming home to get us. We were going to go that night, spend the whole weekend there, and come home. Um, and I was doing every, I was trying to make it look like I had it together. So I'm cleaning the house frenetically, just like doing dishes, doing laundry, trying to clean the bathrooms, just making sure that everything was perfect when my, got, my mom got home. And then she got home early, which I was not expecting. I was at the kitchen sink and doing dishes. She came home, she opens the door, and she's so excited to see me because it's been weeks since I've seen my mom. And I look at her and I burst into tears because I wasn't finished. It didn't accomplish the goal. So I sobbed. I don't even know how long I cried. My mom held me. She cried with me. And then she asked me what was going on, and I just kept apologizing for not having it all done. And my mom had no idea. She kind of had people checking in on us, but she was kind of hoping that we'd tell her <laughs> how things were going. Um, so my mom said, you know what, we're staying here tonight. Go to bed. We'll talk about it in the morning. Just we'll deal with this tomorrow. So the next morning I woke up, and the house is way louder than it should be for three people. So I go downstairs, and our fridge is full of groceries. Our pantry is full of groceries. There's someone cleaning. There's someone doing laundry in our house. There must have been like 10 people at our house because the night before, my mom had called her small group, and they came to our rescue. There was not another moment from when they knew something was going on that we had a need that wasn't filled. 
And my, there's a woman in our church, so I thought she was old at the time. Um, pardon my youth from forever ago, but um, she was probably in her late 20s, early 30s. <laughs> um, but she was single, and she didn't know us. But she moved into our house so that we wouldn't be alone and so that she could watch over us and see if there were any needs that we had to fill, um, which is crazy to think about. She didn't know us, and we could have been angry, mean, rebellious teenagers going through a loss. You know, you can't predict those things, and she did it anyway. Um, I could tell you dozens of stories of the way that our church just rescued us. And they didn't do it because it was easy or convenient. They didn't do it because they wanted to look great. Most of the time, we didn't even know who was dropping off food. And they did it because they loved Jesus and they loved us. And they knew that God called them to love one another well. And they did. They were there through everything. They were there the day my dad died at the hospital, praying with us, singing worship with us. They were there at the funeral. They were there the entire week. My, um, my Oma and uncle, my dad's family, are not believers, and they just kept asking, who are these people, and why do they keep bringing you food? Like, they just literally could not understand why they were there. And we just kept telling them, they're our family. They love us. And they shared the gospel with my Oma and my uncle over and over that week. And I could not even question the whole time that my dad was sick whether we were loved by God or not, because I knew we were. I couldn't get angry that God wasn't providing because he very clearly was. Wasn't the way I expected, but he fully cared for us in a time that felt so broken. And I was broken. And I would not have been able to look at God and say that he was a good and loving father if our church hadn't stepped in to show us what that meant. So my question for us as a church and individually is, what does that look like? Because it's not always caring for someone who's losing someone. Sometimes it's asking hard questions, right? Community is knowing someone well enough to ask a hard question that they don't want to hear, um, to encourage them, to know them well enough where to encourage them and how, and doing it imperfectly, but doing it anyway. So what does that look like for us as a church body? And what does that look for us in our daily lives? Do we know people well enough in our church to do that? Do we know where we're struggling and where we're succeeding and how to come alongside people in order to show others who God is and why he came. So let's pray. God, I thank you for Acts 2. 
God, I thank you for the church. Lord, I thank you that you gave us this blessing of the church. I know um, our culture often frowns upon it, seems kind of stodgy and too strict. But God, you gave us the church because you loved us and because um, it shows who you are. God, I thank you for the ability to love one another well, to ask hard questions, to be in each other's mess and still love one another. Pray that you would help us to um, find the ways to do that in our own lives, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to show who you are every day because we love one another well. Pray this in your name. Amen. Y'all help me thank Ali for coming tonight. <laughs> really want to encourage you to, to meet Ali um, and, and to get to know her. It's a unique opportunity for us to meet someone from, a, from the other class, <laughs> from the morning group. And um, I just want to give you just a tiny bit of encouragement this week because we've been one chapter a week. These last two, this week we're going to do three. So we're, we're doing Acts 3 through 5. And I know that sounds like, oh, my goodness, we're not going to be able to do it. Um, I want you to read it in context. I want you to read it together. So read it all, three through five, before you get started so that you see that it's, it's thematic. It's about opposition. It's about opposition arising um, against this new church that Ali was, was um, telling us about. And it's not coming from the people you think it's going to come from. It's not coming from the bad guys. It's coming from the good guys. It's coming from the church people, from the temple people. And opposition is rising against this new group of believers. And so it's, it's helpful to read it sometimes in contexts like that, even though it's challenging. But I don't want you to be discouraged. You can do this, and, um, and it's going to be great. And next week, Rachel, one of our own, is going to speak to us.